During the last 15 weeks, it's been interesting to see the shifts which this pandemic has caused in our world. We've seen major shifts, things from like remote work and what it meant to work from home, uh, online learning for our kids, uh, our, our dependence and our need for technology has been a shift during this pandemic. The financial fallout and the consequences of the realities of businesses and total industries that were shut down for the greater part of the year, some of them just finally beginning to, to pick back up. Uh, that was a shift that was caused. The social-emotional uh, weight of being socially distanced and being disconnected from family and what that means for us moving forward. Uh, people's well-being, your employees' well-being, your family's well-being. There were many shifts which the pandemic caused in society, and some of them are still unknown. The medical uh, fallout is still unknown. The logistical, how do we go back to gathering people together and doing it safely and doing it in a new way? The societal shifts that happened um, with people and their feelings of, of getting together once again have caused shifts. And there's even governmental shifts where we're seeing regulations and, and laws and, and mandates come out from the government. But perhaps to me, one of the most interesting shifts of these last 15 months uh, was the emergence of the frontline worker. You know, right after 9-11, and rightfully so, the term first responder became part of our everyday vocabulary as we, as we saw the sacrifice of our police, of our fire department, of our EMTs, of our military, of our doctors, our nurses. And, and, and those people were, were labeled the first responders, the first to run in when there was catastrophe, when there was crisis. Uh, but during this pandemic, uh, out of the shadows emerged this new category of people called the, the, the frontline worker, the essential worker. And we suddenly began to acknowledge people like the, um, the, the grocery store checkout person who was there bringing up the essentials that we needed, the transportation workers, the um, bus drivers, the train conductors, the pilots, those people became essential workers. And the energy workers who worked to keep your electricity running, who keep to keep the heat on in your home, who kept the water pumping through our pipes, these were all essential workers. The mail carriers, who maybe you were upset with them at times, but were essential in delivering prescriptions, de delivering checks, delivering your mail, um, truckers who drove product across countries even in the midst of a pandemic. And some of you are sitting here in this room and you're amongst this category. And it felt like for the first time you were acknowledged. Hey, you were essential. And out of the shadows, this group of people, these heroes, who most of the time were forgotten. I mean, before the pandemic, who really thought about our grocery store workers? Not many of us. I did. My children worked in the grocery store, but, but they were forgotten. They were unseen. And finally, for once in this pandemic, we all acknowledge that, wow, we see you, we acknowledge you, and yes, you are essential. Hey, could we give it up for the frontline workers that are here? They got the love that they deserved. And many of them, when you spoke to them, they were not looking for this, they were not chasing this, but they said, hey, I feel like I'm being seen now. Like people see me. 
And it speaks to us because all of us are created with a deep need to be known and to be loved. And that's because that's connected to your purpose. Last week I mentioned that the, your purpose in, in life, your, the whole reason why you're here, um, is not so much to accumulate wealth, it's not so much to accomplish great, um, great, great accomplishments, or, or, or gather resources, or even raise a great family. Those are all blessings and those are great. But your purpose, the reason why you were made and the reason why you live and you breathe, is for you to know God and to love God. And when you know your purpose, you are able to live the pleasure of being known by God, now you being known by Him and you being loved by Him. That's our pleasure. Our purpose is to know and to love Him, and our pleasure is to be known and to be loved by Him. And it's that pleasure that allows you to live a full life. What is a rich life? A rich life is to be known. A rich life is to be loved by God. Mother Teresa, famous humanitarian, known all throughout around the world for her work, mainly in India with the poor, the poorest of the poor. I mean, the poorest of the poor people, this woman spent uh, decades of her life investing in them, loving them, being present for them. And she said this, she said, the poverty of being unwanted, of being unloved and uncared for is the greatest poverty. This woman who had seen poverty probably on levels that we would never see, probably on levels that we would never experience here in this country, said the greatest poverty that a person experiences is not their hunger and need for bread or a home or a car or or material resources. The greatest poverty that people experience is the poverty of feeling unloved of feeling unwanted, of uncared for, of being discarded, of being pushed out, of feeling like no one sees me, no one hears me, and no one cares. The homeless in this country, if you speak to them, they'll tell you the biggest pain they feel is not hunger. It's when people walk by them and will not even make eye contact with them and acknowledge that they're there. And we learn this at an early age. What are we taught at an early age? Don't stare. Don't stare. Don't look. If someone's a little different, if someone seems out of place, we teach our young not to stare, not to look. And this poverty that this causes in people is the door that opens their life to darkness. And we see deterioration happen in the value and the worth of a person. Why? Because they're not known. They're not loved. This deterioration leads to depression, leads to despondency, where all hope for a future leaves. Interesting, as I was preparing for this message, of of people who feel invisible, a group who is widely recognized as feeling invisible, is mothers. This is from Psychology Today here. It's a whole article called The Invisible Mom. That a mom who works with schooling and is responsible for homework and forms and academic responsibilities, athletic responsibilities, social schedules, play dates, activities, camps, birthdays, health care appointments, child and family travel, holidays, vacations, weekend planning, scheduling, grocery shopping, cooking, cleaning, laundry, house repair. By and large, most moms feel invisible. 
They feel like they're not acknowledged. They're underappreciated and taken for granted. Now, it's, it's not only moms who feel this way. And, and, and the word that we're going to get to today, I don't, want, I don't want you to think, oh, this is just for moms. So if I'm not a mother here, I get to check out. No, this word is for everybody. Because all of us will go through seasons where feeling like, man, I'm invisible. Do people see me? Am I heard? Am I known? Am I loved? And here's the big idea that I want you to walk out of this place knowing today. If you walk out with one thing, let it be this, that you are not invisible to God. You may feel invisible to your family. You may feel invisible to your boss. You may feel invisible to your, your, your neighbors. You may feel invisible to others. But to God, you are not invisible. He knows you. He knows your joy. He knows your pain. He hears you. And He sees you. You are known to Him. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Genesis, chapter 16, we, we engage with a, a minor character in the Bible. It would be easy for me to, to be here this morning and, and preach and teach on, on who were the owners of this woman. You see, because this woman was a slave. She had no rights. She had no voice. She wasn't rich. She had no power. In the grand story of the Bible, she's not a major character. Her, her owners are major characters. Abraham and Sarah owned this slave. Abraham and Sarah are considered the father and the mother of the faith of, of three global religions. Christianity acknowledges Abraham and Sarah. Judaism acknowledges Abraham and Sarah. Even Islam uh, acknowledges Abraham and Sarah. It would be easy for me to preach about Abraham and Sarah and their faith and their journey and their accomplishments. I mean, gosh, after all, they're mentioned in Hebrews 11, which is the hall of fame of faith by name because of faith Abraham, because of faith Sarah. It would be easy for me to preach and teach on Abraham and Sarah, but there's something about this woman who was expecting a baby that we encounter here that reminds us that none of us are invisible. Not to God. You see, when we encounter this woman, she's feeling invisible. She's feeling like, I am unwanted, I am unloved, and I am alone. This woman had been abused, had been used, had been put in positions not of her own decision. But yet God encounters her to remind her that, daughter, I see you. Daughter, I hear you, and you are not invisible. The, the, the context to the story was God had made a covenant, an agreement with Abraham. At the time, he was known as Abram. And God and Abram had a covenant. They had an agreement. God made a promise to Abram that out of him and out of his loins that he would establish a nation that he would establish a people that he would gather for himself, the nation of Israel. And this was a, a strange covenant because at the time that God made this covenant with Abram, Abram was already an old man and he had no children. Why would God make a covenant with an old man not able to produce children? 
and someone who had no progeny, had no heritage, had no children. Abram was married to a woman named Sarai, and, and Sarai couldn't bear children. She was past the age of having children, but yet God made a promise. And how many know when God makes a promise, it's your responsibility to act in obedience to it. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? And in a moment of compromise, what we learn from Scripture is that Sarai, realizing that she was beyond the age of having children, tells Abram, look, the only way this is going to happen, the only way this is going to go down, is for you to have a child with someone else. So here, take my, my slave, Hagar, this Egyptian woman, and have a baby with her. This is a whole other sermon, but we could get into what happens when we try to accomplish God's will using our own ways, right? Listen, whenever you try to step in and be God and try to accomplish God's will for your life using your own strength, problems are going to happen. And what we find is that when, when Abraham has relations with Hagar, Hagar becomes pregnant. Now some of you are thinking, is this the Bible? Like the Holy Bible? Yes, this is the Bible. Hagar becomes pregnant, and she now begins to treat Sarai, her mistress, her, you know, her, her boss, with contempt. Kind of holding it over her. Look, I'm bearing the son of the promise, not you. Now this obviously irritates Sarai, and it causes marriage drama between Sarai and Abram. They have an argument. It's your fault. Well, no, it's your fault. Abram even tells Sarai, well, well God will tell us who's right and who's wrong in this. And what we learn is that Sarai becomes so angry, she begins to treat Hagar harshly because she's pregnant. And Hagar runs. She runs. She runs away. She runs into the desert. She runs into the shadows. And it's here in the shadow places, in the darkness, in the wilderness, in the desert of loneliness, that she encounters God and that God reminds her, you are not invisible. You are known and you are loved. There is purpose to your pain. I see you and I hear you, Hagar. So I want to share with you the elements of breaking out of the shadows. The elements of coming out, of knowing that I am not invisible. But to God, I am known and I am loved. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about is running. Don't run. Back in January, God gave me a word for this year. Don't run in 21. And I feel like we're coming back to that here in this message. Listen, even in your moments of hiding, God will find you. Oh, get that this morning. Even in your moments of hiding from God, He will find you. The FBI, the CIA, has nothing on God. You cannot hide from Him. There's no corner. There's no dark place. There's no sight. There's no bar. There's no click. There's no corner where you could hide from God. Even when you try to run from Him, He will find you. So stop running. Stop running from Him. 
Verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to shore. This is what the Bible and what uh, scholars call a theophany. This is an angel, but this is the presence of God. This is God made manifest in bodily form in another being, in this case, an angel. So this is not like a guardian angel. This is God coming and meeting with Hagar in the desert. Some of us like to say, oh, I found God. You know, when people begin a relationship, I found God, I found God. Listen, you didn't find God. He was never lost. You were lost. He found you. And man, God is good at finding you. I don't say that to threaten you. I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to say like God's this creepy person who's always looking over your shoulder saying, ooh, I see you, I see you. God is not like that. God's presence is everywhere. You cannot escape it. You cannot hide it. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere in all places at all times. So stop running. Listen, if you're ever going to overcome things in your life, like feeling invisible, like dealing with depression, like dealing with heartbreak, like dealing with brokenness, like dealing with feeling unloved and unwanted. You will never overcome those things unless you confront them. You will never overcome them if you run from them. If there is an issue, confront it. If there's a conversation that needs to be had between you and a person, start speaking. If there are steps that need to be taken to get your healing, get to walking. Whatever you do, don't run. Don't hide. I always am encouraged by people who encounter God in the most random of places. There's people that I know that as they were shooting heroin into their arm, God met with them. They encountered God. I know other people who were sitting in the darkness of a prison cell and God came and spoke to them. I've known people who were laying on their deathbed with doctors telling their family, look, they're not going to make it. Start saying goodbye. Who are alive today and who are praising God. Why? Because God met with them in the desert. See, even when you run, even when you try to hide, God will find you and He will meet you there. So don't run. Don't run. Reflect. Don't run, reflect. In your seasons of feeling unloved and unwanted and broken before God, we need to honestly assess the root of our current situation. We need to reflect. Listen to what the angel says to Hagar here when he finds her running. The angel said to her, Hagar, remember the angel is God. God says to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Wow, two powerful questions that we must confront and we must answer honestly if we're ever going to overcome seasons where we feel loneliness, where we feel unloved, where we feel like we're invisible. We need to ask ourselves, where did I come from and where am I going? In other words, the valid question that God is asking Hagar here, and I believe he's asking some of you today because you're wrestling with thoughts of God, a know that you need Him, and a desire maybe to not commit fully to Him yet. And God is asking you, what are you doing here? You're in church. It's Sunday morning. It's Mother's Day. Hey, what are you doing here? And Hagar confronts God, and God asks her the question, what are you doing here? Where did you come from? 
Where are you going? Now one thing we got to remember is whenever God asks you a question, remember this, whenever God asks you a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. God already knows the answer to the questions that he asks us. So if you ever feel like, God, I feel like you're questioning me, he's looking for something deeper. He knows the answer already. He's testing you to see, do you know who I am? Because many of us struggle with who I am, what am I doing here, where did I come from, where am I going, and we spend life wrestling with those essential questions, but we never answer the question, who are you? And what are you doing in me? Because look at how Hagar responds. Your response to God matters. God asks her, what are you doing here? Where did you come from? In other words, what's the root of this issue And where are you going? Where is your hope? Where is your future? Your response matters. Look at Hagar's response there in verse 8. She says, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. God asks a where question. And Hagar gives a who answer. Listen, God is not interested. And God is not about excuses or accusations. When God speaks to you, He wants to know what's in your heart. What's your destiny? What's your purpose in life? Hagar begins talking about the person that she believes is the root of her problems. It's Sarai. And aren't people good at that? What are you doing here in this season of darkness, of loneliness, of wandering, feeling unloved, feeling unwanted? feeling broken. What are you doing here? Well, it's someone else. It's them. They did this to me. They said this about me. And listen, let's be honest. Hagar was there not totally because it was her fault. Sarai did push her out. She was valid to say, yes, Sarai was treating me harshly. So there'll be times where, yes, it was another person's decision, another person's actions who put you in a tough spot. But then other times, we have no one to blame but ourselves. No one made Hagar run. Hagar ran. And that's what God is asking her. Where are you going? Where are you running to? For us to overcome seasons of invisibility where we feel unloved and we feel unwanted, we're going to have to answer the question, What am I doing here? Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Not meant to be there. Wasn't his purpose. Wasn't his calling. Wasn't his season to be hiding. But the angel came and through saying, mighty man of valor, God is with you, opened his eyes for Gideon to say, what am I doing here? How am I living? The prodigal son who knew the father, who had been blessed by the father, who sat and ate at the Father's table, but ran from the Father, had to while being in pig slop, in a pig pen, in the mess of an animal that was despised, that was seen as the dirtiest animal around, while the the, the prodigal son was running from his father, in the middle of the pig pen, in the middle of the mess, his eyes were opened up, and the question he asked himself is, what am I doing here? In the moments of invisibility, you must answer the question, what am I doing here? Where did I come from? And where am I going? So don't run. Reflect. 
then re-engage. Re-engage. It's the difficult places and seasons in life that produce growth. It's the difficult places, it's the difficult seasons in your life that produce the most growth. Listen to what the angel tells Hagar to do. You're going to be surprised. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord, again, this is God, said to her, return to your mistress. In other words, go back to Sarai and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you could count. This sounds impossible. How do you tell a person who's been so mistreated to go back there? Listen, I wish I had the knowledge, the insight to explain this to you. I don't know why God told her to do that. But I know that God said it. And if God says it, if God says it, it's our job to obey it. So what we see here is that God is revealing to Hagar that the way forward is by going back. You see, the way forward in your life is never to run from your difficulties or your issues, but to face them. But I understand why we run. We run because we feel alone. We run because we don't understand. We run because we don't know our purpose. And when you don't know your purpose, you never understand what you're fighting for. Why am I going at this if you don't know your purpose? And listen, there's people... Some may be here, some may be watching online. You are a habitual runner. And I don't mean running for exercise either. But you are a habitual runner. If there's problems at your work, you run. If there's issues with your kids, you run. If there's issues in your marriage, you run. If you have issues with Jesus, you run. Hagar's running, but God reminds her. God reminds her that there's purpose to your pain. You see, Hagar is pregnant. There's something within her. She's carrying something that God had ordained. Pregnant in the desert. God was doing something in her life. And interesting that God says, look, I want you to go back. But when you go back, two very, three very important words. He says, I will give you. I will give you descendants. So God is promising Hagar a future if she goes back. You see, whenever God calls you, get this, this is so important. Whenever God calls you on a difficult journey, when God puts you on a course, because God was putting Hagar on a course here, he was putting her on a path, and whenever God appoints you for a path, God will equip you with what you need to complete that journey. You need to have faith in that. That there is a promise to your obedience. There is a promise to your obedience. The step of obedience was go back to Sarai. The promise was I will give you more descendants than you could ever count. In other words, there's purpose to your pain, Hagar. 
You're carrying something. You're pregnant. I want to know how many of you this morning are pregnant with something that God has put inside of you. Some of you are carrying the purpose and the plan and the will of God for your life. You're carrying it within you. And in your moments of invisibility, in your moments of being unloved, God comes and He reminds you that I set you on this journey and I will give you what you need to complete it. It is the promise of God for your obedience. Wherever there is a step of obedience, there is always a promise of God that comes with it. And no matter if you feel insignificant or like you are a nobody, this woman was a slave. She had no value. She had no riches. She had no voice. She had no position. She had no title. She was cast out. She was unwanted, unloved, used and abused by everyone. But to God, she was valuable. And to God, she had a purpose. And to God, she had a plan. And she needed to be reminded of that. So when God spoke to her, we don't know why God put her on a difficult journey. But we know that God promised her something if she would do it. Some of you here, you're running from the purpose and the plan that God has in your life. You're pregnant. What has God deposited inside of you? You see, when you start to discover your purpose... Your place, it gives you the courage that you need to face your challenges. God says, I will give it to you. It's His promise. God promised this woman a heritage, a lineage, an inheritance. And God said, I'm going to give it to you. Not Sarah, not Abraham, not the camp, not the master's home. Me, I will give it to you. You see, when God asks us to do things, He wants our obedience, but it comes with a promise. Jesus, when he was teaching uh, the people on the Sermon of the Mount, says this in Matthew 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. What's the step of obedience? Keep on asking. What's the promise? You'll get what you're asking for. Next one, keep on seeking. You will find it. What's the obedience? Keep seeking. Keep looking after me. Keep looking for me. You'll find me. Those who cry out to me, I will answer their prayers. Keep seeking me. What's the promise? You're going to find me. I'm going to be there. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. The next one, keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on asking. And the door will be open to you. What's the obedience? Keep knocking. What's the promise? It's going to be open. With every step of obedience, there's a promise. It's extremely difficult to have to go back sometimes. It's extremely difficult. Listen, Hagar did a 180. She was going this way. God says, nope, go back. Okay, so she's going back. As she's going back, she's not thinking, oh, Sarai is going to change. Abram's going to change. They're going to treat me differently. They're going to love me. They're going to treat me better. She wasn't thinking any of that. And you know what? It didn't happen. 14 years later, Hagar was going to be in the same desert wandering again. Sarah didn't change. Abram didn't change. The situation didn't change. But her heart had changed because God had spoken a word over her. And he said, when you go back, I will give you. She didn't go back expecting them to be right. She went back knowing that God was right with her. It's difficult to have to go back, but know when God sends you, when He appoints you, He anoints you. And God had said to her, I will give this to you. Not Abram, not Sarah, me. 
He reminds her in verse 11, the angel also said, here's the reminder, you're now pregnant. You're carrying something. You'll give birth to a son and you'll name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has what? Heard you. You see, when we're in the darkest of places, most alone, most of wanted, most loved, you are not invisible to God. He knows you. He loves you. He hears you. He sees you. So God reminds her, hey, God has heard your voice. So name your son what that word means. The reminder that there's purpose to your pain. God was not unaware of her misery. God was not unaware of her suffering. The Lord heard her that day, and the Lord hears you today. Makes no sense to have to go back. Makes no sense why she would put herself back in that place of pain. But what allows you to endure pain is when you understand that there's purpose to the pain that you're enduring. Have you ever wondered how two people can endure the same brokenness? Two people can endure the same issue. And there could be two totally different responses. One person could head in one direction. Another person could head in another direction. What is it that causes that kind of difference in outcome? When both people suffered the same tragedy, suffered the same heartbreak, suffered the same brokenness, The only thing I could understand is that one person understood the purpose behind the pain and the other one didn't. It's in the difficult places where you grow the most. This is what James talks about in the book of James in the first chapter when he says, look, when brothers and sisters, he says, look, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider them an opportunity. An opportunity for great joy. What do these testings produce? It says the testings that you having your faith, they give you endurance and a chance to what? A chance to grow. You want to discover your strength? Go through a trial. You want to learn what it's like to have greater faith in God? Go through some darkness. You see this re-engaging, this re-engaging of, of Hagar with Sarah, with Abram. God was putting her back in a place that was going to be difficult where she was going to experience the promise of God. I will give you. I will give you. The Lord has heard you, Hagar. And the last thing is this. Raise your praise. In your desert moment, know God hears and sees you. Look at the change in Hagar's heart here in verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She started calling God a different name. God put a new name on her mouth. The God who had spoken to her, and she said, You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. I am not invisible because you see me. I am not unwanted because you've heard me. I am not unloved because you've given me your promise. He says, You are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So that well was named from that day, Bir Lahai Roy, or El Roy, which means the living one who sees me. She was still in the desert. 
she was still technically alone. Nothing had changed physically, outwardly. Nothing had changed back at the camp where Sarai and Abram were. This pregnancy hadn't changed. So there was no outward change in the situation. She was alone. She was in the desert. She was still unloved. She was still unwanted. She was still broken. But something changed on the inside. God put a new song on her heart. God put a new name on her lips. And this awakening that Hagar experiences here is for her to say, the Lord sees and the Lord knows me. And she praises God in the desert. Man, when's the last time you praised God in the desert place? Where you raised your hands up Nothing on the outward had changed, but inside of you, God had put a new song on your heart. You see, this is what the psalmist in Psalms 40 was talking about, where he said, look, you have put a new song for me to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. And because God has given me a new song, I will sing this song. I will sing this song. I will sing this song. And because I'm singing in the desert place, other people will see me singing. Other people will know what He's done in my life. And they're going to be amazed that God answered me in the desert place. That God sees you. That God knows you. That God loves you. And that God hears you. Other people are going to be amazed by that. And you know what they're going to do as a result of that? They're going to put their trust in God. That's why we praise Him in the desert place. When's the last time you praised God in your desert? Or do you curse Him? I'm alone. Oh, that's Sarai. God was reminding this slave woman who was pregnant, you are not invisible. I see you. I know you. I love you. I hear you. And God put a new song on her heart and a new name on her lips. And to this day, I don't know, thousands of years later, here we are in this auditorium today, remembering, remembering her God encounter. Encouragement to us to say, I am not invisible. To God, I am essential. I am important. I need to come out of the shadows Enough running. I'm going to reflect and understand, what am I doing here? One of the most important questions you'll ever answer in your life. I'm going to re-engage, even if it means me going back to the tough places. And A, even in my desert place, I am going to raise my praise to God because He's put a new song on my heart. It's not the same old, tired, warped song I've been singing my whole life but it changes the way I think. It changes the way I speak. It changes the way I forgive. It changes the way I relate to people. It changes the way I see my future. And it changes my position before God. It's a new song He's putting on your heart. And today, I want you to know that you are seen. You are heard. You are not invisible. God sees you.